Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Banya Career Calling Podcast. I just want to start with hoping that everyone is keeping well given the state of the world and to let you know that the upcoming episodes, uh, the, the audio of the upcoming episodes probably won't be as great as uh, other episodes just because everything will be recorded through Zoom. But I hope that you still gain a lot of insights and value from the people that I interview. In this episode, we are tackling the very popular graduate role of consultancy, specifically technology consulting. I'm joined with two of my very good friends. I interned with one at Google and I went to university with one. And I really hope that you get a bit more of clarity of what technology consulting is and also the challenges and realities of the role and consulting overall. Hope you enjoy this. Hello, friends. Welcome to an episode of Find Your Career Calling podcast. In this special edition, I have two of my friends. Hi. <laughs> and we are all in Zoom on lockdown as everyone else in the country and the world. Social distancing. So for our listeners who are still at university or straight out of university, what's the whole process of applying for IBM? When did you hear about IBM and, well, I guess technology consulted <clears throat> in the first place? Who wants to start us off? Tell me to start. This is going to be a very informed episode, everyone. Uh, where, where did I? So I actually interned at IBM um, on the placement year, um, and I wasn't actually sure. Mm, towards the end of my placement year, I wasn't going to uh, return. I had a mentor um, at IBM who kept in touch with me all summer. Had a couple of friends there, um, and the role that I'm doing now, which is you know a data scientist, data consultant role. Um, but we call it strategic analytic consulting. There's like a specific role that I kind of said to myself, I would only return to IBM if I could get the role. Um, not any, not that I didn't like any other role, but I knew that it would be like, like a challenge to get it, but also the role itself would be super like, um, interesting, super tough. Um, so I applied internally, um, and the way IBM works for my role is you don't get any pro, uh, preferential treatment if you've interned there before. So I had to do the whole assessment center again had to do all the interviews again and yeah that's, wow um, that's interesting they don't is there a reason why they don't give preferential uh, how do i how do i phrase it <laughs> how do i phrase it well um the reason the reason they don't is because they're looking for specific um they're looking for a specific skill set yeah. so I, I would say that we are very logical but we're able to pick up things really really quickly so being able to go to a client the client is telling you their problem and you can kind of quickly brainstorm and visualize potential solutions not actual solutions because it's too early on um and they feel that that ability you can't because the way the um intern kind of application is written it's all about you know what you've done in the year um, what impact you've made on ibm however that doesn't really give a great indication of how logical you are you know how well you pick up stuff um how you handle things under pressure if i give you a problem can you give me an answer and um it's not even an answer can you provide me with a solution and is that solution reproducible you can't really get that on paper so that's why i guess yeah that makes sense and zoe <clears throat> Um, so I think it was like in my final year, the beginning of my final year, I just was like, I probably should start applying for jobs now. Um, a lot of my friends had started applying. So I was like, okay, I probably should start applying. I just, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do because I studied engineering. I, I realized like I had done an internship between my second and third year that was software engineering. And I thought that's what I wanted to go into. I actually didn't really enjoy it that much. I learned a lot, but I didn't enjoy it. And I was like, yeah, I definitely can't do this full time. So I was kind of a bit lost in terms of what I wanted to do. So I thought I'd just, you know, wait a bit. And um, then between my third and fourth year, I got um, an internship in the same company um, to do um, innovations consulting. And I actually really enjoyed it. It was like the perfect mix of like creativity, um, like kind of scientific thinking, but also um, client engagement, which is what I wanted, but I didn't realize that at the time until I was put in that job. So I, um, I guess I like prayed about it for a bit and I wasn't really sure because that was my first experience of consulting, but I thought, okay, I would like do more research so one lady who um she's a really close family friend who like kind of mentors me um she was like you should definitely go into consulting because she was like you would enjoy it so much it would be perfect for you 
so she helped me do some research gave me like a list of 10 companies and then I added like another 10 created a spreadsheet just did research find out all the applications and I just applied to loads um and IBM like really caught my eye because I did electronic engineering and I was really interested in tech mm-hmm. um I just didn't know that there was a way for me to be in a tech space but not be doing something that was like coding or you know something like that I didn't know that that was possible and then I saw the role of a technology consultant and I was like that's perfect so I applied for it did the assessment center did the interviews and then eventually got the job what was the assessment center like at IBM um it was good I mean it was like the last assessment center I was doing and it was kind of, I was kind of just like tired, mm. not tired. I had only done one or two prior, but I was just tired of like applying and stuff. So I went there really with not, I hadn't really prepared that much, mm. but I had just been like, I had the mentality, like if this, you know, job is for me, I'll, I'll get it. So I wasn't really worried or anything. And I just went there and I was just like completely a hundred percent myself. And I answered the questions. I did the, you know, the group activities. There was one where we had to solve some kind of number of problem with limited uh, information and we uncovered more information as we went through. And then there was another, which was a group presentation on some kind of app idea. So I just, you know, like contributed the way I naturally would. And yeah, eventually, I guess that was good enough for them. But I do think one thing that I did notice um, was um, that there wasn't as many, I don't think I was expecting it to be diverse, but there was a lot of females, so it's probably like 50-50 male and female, but there wasn't, you know, it wasn't ethnically diverse. I think that kind of caught my eye. Mm. So um, I did think... The process or Pardon? The, the interviewees or, or the... Yeah, yeah, like the other peak candidates in the assessment centre. So, but then, um, you know, after doing research afterwards, I realised that a lot of companies would be like that, particularly in the tech space, so it wasn't something... I could necessarily hold on them so that was the only concern I had I agree with that as well like I think you know having seen what it's like in like Facebook and Google it was really surprising and also seeing how it was in like finance I think finance is actually more ethnically diverse than tech yeah definitely. Which I think mo- most people are not most people just assume that because tech is full of young people that it will be like diverse in like, ethnically but mm-hmm. it really isn't Com- not compared to I don't know whether because finance is more established as, as a sector in as a sector and also they have um like a lot of diversity programs in place that means lots of people lots of juniors uh are diverse but yeah i did it's definitely not a new i think sam we were talking about this in the last episode last podcast we did together of how like tech isn't as diverse as they perhaps make it seem like mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think i mean there's there's loads of reasons you know i mean tech people normally come from probably like stem subjects but also i think when you look at ethnic minorities as a whole you know like I can only speak for myself and probably other Nigerians. You know, tech is not necessarily the route that your, you mm. know, your parents would would kind of um, say you want to uh, that you should go down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, you're playing on a when you're on a computer, you might be coding or you might be doing stuff. Um, and I know my dad would think you're just playing games, right? <laughs> so you're doing some, you know, some, you know, you do some coding, and you go, you're playing games. But it's this, it's those kind of, you know, first steps that kind of help you get into tech and help you become aware of like the impact tech has on other people and on on and on our lives. Um, so there's probably that that adds into it, you know, because you most people don't see it as a a route to get into and. Two, also, I think Zoe mentioned like earlier when she was talking, she said something really interesting, which is that um, I think when most people think of tech, they think of coding. When most people look at technology company, they think you've got to be really technical. Um, And it's really interesting because especially at IBM, you know, like IBM is filled with people who are super, super technical, filled with researchers, filled with consultants and sellers and you know then there's cybersecurity there's so many branches of tech that you don't have to be technical you just have to be interested in tech Um, i spoke about this in in the last episode with ux as well and like you know non-humanities or non-stem people going into tech going back on the initial questions what were the major difference that you saw the placement here assessment center and the graduate assessment center oh okay if you can remember that far oh i remember that far i remember it so before I before I um, got in my assessment center for my my internship at IBM, I'd done maybe like, like three or four, so I was like really comfortable. Mm. So when when I was sent the email, I was like, oh, 
I'll be fine because I've done these sort of assessment centers before, but my graduate one was just unknown. They gave the bare bones of the information and it was just a lot tougher. Um, the group exercises were a lot more rigorous. Um, I had to redo the, um, the psychometric tests like on the day um, and they cut people. They cut people, you know, throughout. And I think it, to be honest, it was, it's dependent, it was dependent on my role. So when I was doing my my internship I was just kind of going I want to get into tech and I want to get into IBM and they're just looking for someone who is capable and functional and can work in a team whereas my graduate one they're looking for specific skills so they're asking specific questions like one of the questions was how many people do you think took the jubilee line this morning oh wow go or how many five pound notes do you think they are in the UK right now go and so it's a really, really specific set of skills that are they're looking for. And so it makes it a lot more difficult and you have to be a little bit more prepared. But yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. Actually, my feedback at the end of the day was um, <laughs> the reason they liked me is because at the end of the day, I was still smiling. So I, I thought I was having a great time. Yeah. Um, and they saw that as, I, not that I didn't find the day challenging, but the challenges I was having fun. Yeah. And so they feel that as like, oh, that's someone we kind of want in our team, you know that. Yeah. What were the people like when you were doing your assessment center? And by people, I mean like your peers, the people applying. My interviews? Oh man, they were rude. <laughs> they were so rude. I had so many. I, I, so I, let me give you a story. So in my assessment center, we had this group exercise where we were going to be presenting to a CEO on IBM, like products that can help them. And we were given like this massive wad of like documents. So we split it up as you do, you know, you're just like, yeah, you take this, you take this. Everyone. So we all read and read and read it. And I read something that's actually really useful for the girl, the team next to me um, that were doing something. I don't know what they were doing, but I was like, oh, this would be really useful. So I'm trying to speak up to her and go, yeah. oh, hey, I've just read something that uh, I think you should know. I think it's worthwhile to know. So when I'm saying it, she's shutting me down. And when I mean shut it, I would like get, two two words in and she'd be like yeah, yeah, yeah i understand yeah yeah i got it yeah, yeah, yeah i know and i look up in the assessment center and one of the um one of, of the assessors is like yeah. look at me and he just looks you know he looks at me and i look back at him and he just looks down and just writes something on his paper yeah. and i'm like okay i'm good <laughs> bye <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we spoke about it in my interview later he was like yeah i was like yeah i thought she was a little rude he was like yeah but at this point in time she didn't cut so uh <laughs> but I think everyone's like really nervous and yeah. um, I think you find two types of people at assessment centers people who think that they have to be better than everyone else so they are not trying to be helpful they're just trying to be as ruthless as possible every group exercise every interview everything you do they yeah. just want to be on top and then you have other people who have done some assessment centers before or they understand the what companies are looking for which is that can you work well in a team? Can you manage a difficult person when they're being difficult? Um, and can you just talk to people with respect? This is a workplace. Yeah. I think it's difficult because I've been in, it's definitely hard to, it's, I think it depends a lot on how the company runs their assessment center as well. There are some assessment centers that is almost like Hunger Games. Like they really promote that kind of ruthlessness. I yeah. still I saw it in banking. Like in banking, if you're not one of those people who like really assert themselves, people will just walk all over you kind of thing. So you really do have to have that ruthless mentality in like some banking assessment centers. But yeah, I, I think in, in, in tech and Apple assessment center, I think was done quite well, although they do cut people as well. But I think it, they really, there's some assessment centers have that kind of like collaborative ambiance atmosphere that- So have you have you ever been to an assessment center where they cut people? Yeah, the Apple one. How how do you think that affects your performance in comparison to another place where they just, you know, they do the entire process? I knew that they were going to cut people because I was reading reviews online, but I'm yeah. sure not everyone did that. A lot of it brings out the worst in people, the way it's handled in mm. centers. And what were like the interviewers like? Oh, they were great. <laughs> they were great. I mean, I work with them now, so I, you know, I can't. Ah, no, they were great. Uh, no, they were great. They were really challenging. They really dug deep. Um, and some really, really, uh, there were like a few questions that absolutely threw me, which was okay. like, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What one was, I answered a question, and actually, now that I know her, it makes sense why she asked this question. I answered uh, a question, this math question, and she was like, Do you think you're correct? And I sat there for like two seconds, like, Huh? I've never heard that before. And I was like, No, I don't. And she was like, Why? 
and I explain my reasons why I don't think I'm correct and what I think the actual solution should be should be and then we just kind of moved on and I actually asked her like after months and she was like oh because um she's really really big on honesty and she's really really big on if you're not honest in an assessment center it means that you're you probably might lie to a client and you just won't know the answer but you also just won't tell someone that you don't know the answer yeah. or that you're having an issue and sometimes you know when you're working with such a big client that that's a million two million that you're playing around with and you just haven't fixed this problem but you're not telling anyone um, and then another really difficult question that threw me was um what haven't i asked you that you wished i asked and i was like oh oh you know how that question before never had that oh question. i've had that question before yeah never. it was like at the end i was like <laughs> have i messed this up and she just asked me that and i was like um yeah, yeah. And i asked a question i asked one and i was like i wish you'd ask me this and she was like interesting give you anything so i had one like mini one with um, oliver wyman um and i'd not really had that many interviews prior mm. um so it was my first experience of like going through the whole a couple of the other um, processes i was going through i either stopped because i was like actually i don't really want to work here or like I hadn't gotten through to the next stage. So what's, it was my first. Hmm? What's been the hardest question you've received? Um, I don't think maybe in the Oliver Wyman one, they were asking me quite a few case questions. It was very, you know, consulting, very case based type thing. And then at that time, I had not really, I only realized I wanted to do consulting maybe two or three weeks prior to actually making the application. So I had not practiced casework. I didn't have any kind you know people go in there with formulate okay I need to do this first I was just answering it like the way I would answer any you know random question yeah. that was given so yeah I found that to be quite hard and they were quite intense I, I get you know that um you want to maintain that professionalism but at the same time like be realistic about it I mean I I think I I gotten into the room and they told me to you know sit down relax wait for the interviewer so I did because you know someone told me to sit down and relax so I sat down and then the interviewer came in and was like you should never be sitting down when you know when an interview before the interviewer and I was just really confused that the mixed messaging like someone told me to sit down so I sat down <laughs> like, why do, I just don't get the mind game. I think it's unnecessary in, in real world in the room sitting down standing up sitting down standing up <laughs> Like it just threw yeah. me off. There's a few stuff like that in banking as well. That that's yeah, it's just so unnecessary. I, I don't and I don't really particularly. I mean, I'm not bashing Oliver Wyman. Um, that was just probably because it was my first real interview experience that it kind of threw me off. So I didn't know that people, you know, play mind games like that. But I generally not want to work in an environment where I feel like I have to second guess what people are saying. Like, is yeah. it, are they trying to get me to do something? Like, I don't want to do that. It's it's exhausting. So um. I think actually, to be honest, instead of learning the game of interviews and assessment centers, I'd rather go through, you know, like authentically and be in an environment that allows me to, you know, not have to play necessarily the mind games of the profession. And to an extent, I know there's a balance. I think there's a lot of things that I don't, I didn't know at the time. And there's a lot of things that I've learned in the process that I wish I knew yeah. then. So yeah, I think there's a balance, but That's at the same time... <laughs> migrated this podcast as <laughs> other people don't have <laughs> yeah exactly but then I don't want to be in a ruthless environment because that's just not my character like you know putting yeah. people down you know they talk about like um oh you might have a presentation yeah. that you've worked on with three people and they remove your name like yeah. just before like I don't want to work in that kind I of know, right that's just so stressful that's yeah you don't need I, I said that I said that to my mum um the day we were told and she looked at me so unfazed I was like this happened like huh <laughs> It was just like, yeah, that happens. Like, Your mom worked for the NHS. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, um, uh, let's move on quickly. <laughs> okay, friends, um, consulting, 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 consulting. This, this job title faces me even now. Consultancy in technology, especially it's so broad to shed some light on what consultants actually do. Wow. I don't, I don't think you can uh, because it's it's so so broad so many, it's so broad you know like ux consultant is would be classed on the tech data scientist or data consultant would be classed on the tech you know what i mean I, like uh, the way i see a consultant is 
someone you pay for advice that you that you need and you mm-hmm. pay for you pay for an expertise that you don't have otherwise you would just do it in-house right mm-hmm. so that's how that's how i imagine a consultant whether it's finance whether it's ux whether it's data you are paying for someone for a specific set of skills that you don't have but also you ask you're also paying for their advice because yeah i don't think you hire consultants to come in and do um, something specific like you kind of also hire them to for them to tell you whether or not that thing that you want done is actually in your best interest you know mm-hmm. yeah i agree um so there's yeah like something is it's very broad in terms of it's a it's a very strategy based role i would say it's a lot about shaping organizations their current strategy client i'm currently working with is within public sector and we're working on a digital security project so we're helping them to basically their digital security is very weak a lot weaker than it should be and we're helping them to point out basically the areas of weakness and the tools that they need to technology tools that they need to purchase to be able to help them to solve this problem and also helping them to come up with some kind of security strategy so yeah i'm helping with that a lot it's quite hard to describe because it look day to day it's made up of so many different things but in that um whilst i'm broadly a technology consultant the current client i'm working for is within digital security and the next client i work for may be something completely different like i don't know a car company or like a, a tele telecommunications it could be different so your role changes based on the client and i think that's what makes consulting an interesting profession because you can be in this a job for 20 years but have done so many different things work for so many different clients that it feels like you you haven't been in the same job yeah absolutely and what's what what, what is an architect though um in in, in, the, in a technology <laughs> Um, so an architect, I mean, like the general, what people would know an architect to be like to help, I guess, draw out some kind of building plan for a building. And then the actual construction workers would then go and build the thing that they've pictured. So in IT, it's, it's very similar. We come up with, we create a picture of what the particular IT system or platform should look like. And then we give it to engineers to like build. Um, so it's high, high, a lot higher level than engineering and um, software development. But it's, it's like that bridge between um, the business analysis and the like engineering and software development type thing. I don't know if that's clear, but I think that's the way I interpret it. Cool. I'm going to go back to, I'll just, I'll just get a summary of kind of the roles that you guys are doing now. And then I'll go back and ask kind of the challenges that you face at the moment or are facing despite everything, the situation of the world now. So Sam, how about, I know, I know that I know your client, Sam, I won't say, but <laughs> what do you do with your client? Uh, so I work in the automotive industry mm-hmm. uh, and we work on, you know, generating um, information for their dealers to help kind of smooth out their, their jobs. So we work with a lot of like um, data in-house and then we provide that, you know, a more streamlined version of that data to dealers and they go on and do what, whatever they need to do with it. How collaborative are both of your roles? Or is it, is it kind uh, of you kind of siloed and then giving your work back to a broader team or and then the client? I'm definitely not siloed. <laughs> no, so I, I work with the German and French market. So it's regular, regular touch points. Uh, so I have a, uh, I have a touch point uh, one hour a week with that market specifically. I have a de- designated person within that market that I speak to, uh, you know, either, you know, once or twice a day that I go to and get information from um, to do my job, but also just within my team itself, we all handle different markets. We have a daily standup. Uh, there's constant meetings just so that uh, we're building stuff and we're working on things that are that can be beneficial for other members of the team. So it's really good for me to be like, I need to I need to build this tool, for example, this reporting tool. Has anyone ever done it before? And they can go, yeah, the, the work is here and they can walk me through it. Mm. And that brings segues nicely to uh, what's been the biggest challenge of moving from, you know, graduating at uni you guys both did engineering and oh, yeah, I forget sometimes. Yeah, uh, I mean different kind of engineering, chemical and I forgot. So we mechanical, no, electronical, electronic. Yes, I'm a great. <laughs> friend. Um, so I guess you you're kind of used to solving problems and being very logical. Mm-hmm. But what has been the biggest surprise going into this consultancy techie world? And also, how do you think IBM has helped you out? 
in that sense? Um, I think very similar skill set. So I don't think in terms of the way I'm using, utilizing my brain, it has changed much. Maybe just the type of work I'm doing has changed. Mm. Um, I think getting used to the business culture has been the, you know, most transition-ish type thing. Um, having to, um, you know, have the same similar schedule every day. I mean, at uni, I was just, you know, waking up. It wasn't con- like consistent. And um, what else would I say? I-, I don't think there have been huge amounts of challenges. Um, I think the only thing would be um, now I have less free time. And so being able to do personal things has been, it requires more discipline. But in terms of the role and the job, I feel like I've approached it the same way I've approached my degree, like, you know, just taking challenges one step at a time and just figuring things out, asking for advice when necessary. But yeah, I don't think it's been hugely challenging. It's been challenging in terms of it's, it's very new. So I'm learning a lot and I'm having to be comfortable in not knowing a lot. Uncertainty in not knowing, yeah. And that's fine. It's a huge part of the world. And I don't, I think if you ever get to a point where you are comfortable in your knowledge, I think you've you've hit a ceiling and you need to move beyond that so I think my team are really keen on like just giving me harder and harder work like anytime I do something it's like okay now we want you to do even more and we want you to do even more because they're really trying to push me and I think part of the reason I may be wrong but a small contributive factor is that especially in IBM or I think in companies in general there's not very many black female architect and I think they just don't want to <laughs> they don't want to lose me I have a few um like two um mentors who are like female architects in IBM and they've been there for quite a while like maybe like 20 years mm-hmm. and they keep saying that like we don't want to lose you like <laughs> because there's not many so I feel like that's I feel like that's part of the reason why they're like you know which is not a bad thing I think they just realize that okay there's not many so we don't want to you know we want to help encourage that so yeah in that sense I've been pushed quite a lot great that sounds great Sam have you got anything to add I think there's two I think there's the internal games that aren't a game if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know within a company I think uh we mentioned probably actually yeah I second that I'm going to add to my list. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just don't entertain them, but yeah. It, yeah, so there are the, I think if you want to progress within a company, there are things, that, there is a game that you need to play. It's not enough to just do your job and do your job yeah. well. Yeah. There is the, you know, signposting it for specific people. There is getting the relevant, the, the higher-ups or the relevant higher-ups, as it were. But you know what? I've realized that it's not, I used to think that was a corporate problem, but I think it happens, I don't, it happens anywhere. Like even in a small company, it still happens. Yeah. The right person still needs to have visibility of what you're doing. Mm. Um, this is that's actually one of the lessons I've learned. It doesn't matter where you are, as long as as, as soon as there's a team, a group of people, there will yeah. always be some something like this. So there's that there's the, the those internal games within a game, which I'm still struggling with sometimes. Wait. Sometimes I do it's amazing yeah, it's, amazing. Sometimes it's like it, it's amazing the level of the amount of stuff that what i th- what i would class as important you know for this person who is making that decision is not important to them and i'm like actually it is important it's just you know just for you in particular you don't find it important but it is important for the grand scheme of things um and i think that's what I'm that's what I'm more uh, centered around around doing things that I think are beneficial for the bigger things so I'm not sure if like in 10 or so years I'm gonna have to work by myself because really mm-hmm. the firm isn't for me and then yeah. the second the second one is uh, probably I think coming from an engineering background numbers and you don't have to explain yourself too much reason mm-hmm. being like you know when i show you the working out when i show you the calculation right when you're surrounded by uh it's enough right you know what i mean when i show you the sketch or i show you the you know if we take zoe for example that architecture drawing right you know what i'm talking about i don't really need to delve that deep i can de- i can you know i delve like surface level and you're you're perfectly aware but i think um one of my managers said something to me which was really she said in the business world for example um there's no use there's there's no there's no point doing all this calculation doing all this analysis if you can't explain it and and um, visualize it to you know the key stakeholder for example so you might know what the best decision is from what you've like calculated and from what you've worked on however 
if you can't visualize that and you can't explain that to the person who's then making the decision what what was the use what was the point of doing it with that like um so that's probably that's one and if you could go back to um if you could give a few advice to um i guess what you were like a year and a half ago when you were still applying for jobs what would it be Ooh, i don't know if i'd give myself any advice <laughs> Why would you? Uh, I mean, come on. I I was. Why would tell them enjoy university more? Because work is work. (laughs) I don't know if I would. No, because I had a great time. You know, I I had a I had a, and it's not me too. In my, you know, I I mean, we've we've spoken about this, Pauline. So I came in to my final year, going, I know for so I'd worked at IBM, I'd worked at Google. And I'd worked really hard at both. Like I'd really, you know, worked really hard there. And I was like, I know before the end of the year or before December happens in, in my final year, I'm going to have two like offers. So I'm going to apply to other places, but I know for a fact I'm going to have two offers, which when you know that's going to happen, you have this level of like comfort, like security, when you're applying yeah. to other places, because there's a security there, right? Like I know that, oh, if I send off this application, it doesn't really matter if you get back to me or not, because... I, I have some jobs potentially lining up. So, yeah, so I went out, had my fun, did all the things I needed to do, sent off the applications and was not that phased. And Zoe? Mm, I think I would just say, like, n- maybe not to worry. Like, you'll get what's meant for you. I think there was a bit of, um, I, I just didn't want to graduate without having a job. Like, I did not want to spend my summer looking for a job. I, just, I remember this space in the library when we were chatting about I just it. knew I wouldn't have the motivation to be applying for jobs during the summer. So I didn't want to be in that position. And I think I put a bit of pressure on myself. And the reason why I got to the IBM um, interview so, like, relaxed is because I had kind of made peace with that, um, that fact at that point like I will get what's meant for me I I, I was talking to you about it MJ in the library like mm-hmm. I'm not worried I'll, I know I'll get what's meant for me so at that point I was okay but I wish I had that mindset a lot earlier I would have saved myself a lot of worrying um if I did this was really hard yeah definitely because looking back now I literally took a complete left turn <laughs> after my internship and went to tech because I was like oh, let's try this UX thing and just completely retrained again and went to a different, like followed a different mm-hmm. path. And looking yeah. back, like, you know, a few months before, I would never have thought I would have gone to UX. I thought I was going to go to like some finance or some, some, I was looking at like sales jobs actually as well, like tech sales mm-hmm. jobs. And then it yeah. just got to the point where it's like, actually, nah, <laughs> I can't I think, tell. I think on that point, I think, remember when we were at Google and we got given a talk from, um, well, he was like the head of like cloud for UK, this big guy, and he'd worked at McKinsey, and he said something really. Yeah, he was the head of Europe sales. Yeah, quite cookie. Yeah. Clearly, I was not listening, but you know, MJ was. But I think he said something interesting, which um, is probably is a good piece of advice to drop on here, uh, which is that you know, I think we have to all remember that we're young, and what yeah. he said was like before the age of 30 you can make as many mistakes as possible because let's say let's say that you retire at 60 that's another 30 or so years in comparison let's say you start your job at like what 23 you know the first seven years you can try as many things as possible you can make as many mistakes as possible go and work in finance go and work in ux go and work in tech go and do all the things that you potentially want to do and go and find out and figure out what kind of works for you Um, and then the second thing um, I wanted to say was something that Zoe kind of, kind of mentioned this idea that like it will all work out eventually yeah. you know what I mean it's all going to work out because if you kind of back yourself in terms of like I've done good work I know who I am to, if you bring your entire selves to the table like things will work out eventually it might not work out during the time scale that you want it to work mm-hmm. out but it will work out like you will be able to find the job I know people waited like a year to get the job that they wanted yeah. but it will like work and then 13 again also from what Zoe said which is that um I think people often go to assessment centers trying not to be themselves right so yeah. when you go to someone you go this is the type of person they're looking for so this is the type of person I'm gonna be be when you eventually get that job you're just gonna hate working there because that's not who you are so mm-hmm. if you go to assessment centers and you apply for companies that you can bring your authentic self to the assessment center 
polished, obviously, because that's what sent her. I'm not trying to get jobs out here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, polished self. We're going to be a old <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, get a haircut. Like, you know what I mean? Come in clean. <laughs> um, but, like, bring your entire authentic self because, you know, if a company accepts you for that, then you know that's the type of place you want to be in. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's. I guess my last question will be what's the surprise that what what surprised you about working in tech and working for IBM is there anything that surprised you now that you're inside so I really um, I really enjoy being around people right like I'm you, really, thought you, you didn't enjoy going so you didn't no 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 no, 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 no. As in like like naturally I like enjoy being with people yeah. I feed off people energy i'm quite an extrovert extrovert, however however i love working from home right love it i don't know what it is but i hate (laughs) not i hate people but i love just being able to work in my room do my thing zoom or webex meetings and do my work and then at five I'm at home and I don't have to travel anywhere. Yeah, the lack of commute is so good for the mental health, I've got to say, 100%. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so IBM, if you're hearing this, please make that happen. <laughs> you know, I actually think that after this whole thing is over, I hope that more companies can see, like, flex like flex working and working from home is literally the way forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't mind just mm-hmm. coming in. You don't need to be in a building. Like, obviously, you need to visit client sites and, like, you know, face to face is all. Mm, we don't really because we we talk to them <laughs> like, every day, and you know, I, I don't think it's completely essential. It's interesting because just before the lockdown, the client was because we work from Monday. My role is, or the client is based in Manchester, so we go up to clients like Monday to Thursday, and they were actually complaining about um some people who have families leave on Wednesday and they leave like half day Wednesday so that by the time they travel down they get home at like six-ish because some live really far and they were kind of saying that you know they want us to be in the office more they don't really like that that people are leaving half days and stuff and look at now now we're spending five days of the week at home people were still effective because they were working on the train and stuff it's just to improve you know work-life balance they can see their families but no they don't want that yeah so yeah, I've been loving it too, to be honest. I've been loving it. So yeah, have you? If anyone's out there that's listening, uh, you know, Sam and Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind working in the office, but just like maybe an extra day working from home would be nice. Like on Thursdays. Yeah. Um, I lied. This is the last question. Um, what what advice would you give to the listener who wants to go into consulting or tech consultancy? specifically um, as a parting parting advice before we finish recording hmm, that's a very interesting question um i think part of what i realized coming in there's so many different skills that you have that's consulting is that you don't realize like being able to talk to people um like that create well i don't know about every role but like that creative element to be able to visualize things is really important because a lot lots of the clients they're not technical that's why they hired you because they're not technical so you need to be able to communicate things in a way that they can understand and that was a thing that I've been doing for you know a long time but well like just that a thing that I enjoyed doing but I didn't realize was a a necessary you know skill set so I would say consulting doesn't look like one thing there's so many bits and aspects of your like character and so many different skills that you can bring to consulting so I wouldn't like like worry too much about that's why they don't a lot of the roles don't necessarily have degree requirements unless they're very specific like data analytics for example or or like specific roles I know the role that the position that I've applied for within the practice requires a STEM degree but there's so many um technology consulting roles that don't require you to have a STEM degree so if it's something that you're interested in just apply for it um I don't really know. Yeah, but I think that's the only advice that I would give. Yeah, solid, solid. Sam, you got anything to add? Um, what do I have to add? Do your research. I think if you listen to the advice... A bomb. (laughs) Do your research. I think if you've listened to the entire podcast, you know, 
um, Zoe has mentioned Oliver Wyman, you know, we've mentioned finance firms, we've mentioned Google, we've mentioned Facebook, we've mentioned IBM. Every different company has a different way of working, but they also have a different set of culture. And I think that is the defining thing between, let's say, an IBM and an Accenture or an EY and a Deloitte. It's that culture. Um, mm-hmm. and so like making sure that you do your research not only into what the company does or what you're going to be doing or what the assessment center is like but also like does that company's culture match yours right is the way mm-hmm. they operate does it match yours because mm-hmm. there are some tech companies that are exact pretty much like w- what we want everyone work from home you know we only touch base one day a week whereas there's other companies you know like the company that um is always working for in the public sector we want you here as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? So when you research these cultures, you know, you know, who they are, what they, and what they like doing. And then you can see if you fit in. And if you don't, you don't have to waste your time. You don't have to, you know, because applications are long. Oh, and one thing that I would say, you have to be flexible, like very flexible. Because like clients, you could be one, one week, you could be in Spain. The next week, you could be in oh, Edinburgh. Yeah. Like, you have to be quite flexible. Just when I thought we were going to finish recording, that just triggered one of the main topics we need to talk about. The main thing that puts me off about consulting and actually applying for consulting jobs was the traveling aspect. And this is where the work-life balance topic comes in. Because for me, like, the traveling aspect of consulting, like, flying around, for me, in paper, it sounds good. But in reality, I know from speaking to a lot of consultants, a lot of um, them, it invades in your private time when you're flying around yeah. the time it's just you know staying in hotel rooms you don't actually get to see the place that much yeah so i think that's yeah. one of the things um i'm not sure whether you are at that stage where you're seeing a lot of that because i think you guys are still in the uk uk based clients but have you spoken to like colleagues who tend to you know go abroad for projects mm-hmm. and what are their thoughts on it so i i mean i would say like the traveling I do weekly, I might as well be flying to a different country because it's like three and a half hours commute, which is <laughs> which is a flight to Spain. So yeah, but I've just work now. <laughs> no, because remember, because we went to Madrid for like one of our training courses, and it was a two-hour flight. Mm. Um, I think you just you just learn to instead of looking at the negative, there's a lot lot of positive, yeah. racking up points. You know, on like those um, Marriott points, credit card points. Um, I think I've just worked it around. So like there are things like reading, but I wouldn't necessarily get to do as much if I was um, working like in London and commuting. I do try, I plan to do a lot of reading on the train, writing, stuff like that. I use my commute time because it's like two and a half hours um, of like just good undisturbed time to to just do what you want so you just work things out like that and if it's something that really does not appeal to you then I just would say just don't do it because I we have I don't know if you um Sammy would know who I'm talking about we had um uh I would say like a person that we mutually know who wasn't flexible like at all really in terms of she didn't really want to have to travel she really wanted to stay at home you know with her family and it didn't work out because you'll get a project where they want to send you far and you you can't you can only say no for so long so how how does the project work uh do you have to bid for a project do you have i mean i assume from speaking to other i don't know how ibm works but i've heard from other consultants that you kind of have to like it's almost like applying for uni like you have to apply to be part of a project um and there's a lot of networking involved as well i guess what's like sam you can talk about that well i mean but it's different from my team you know, we don't oh, yeah. have, so we, my, my team has a lot of like internal projects, um, mainly because analytics is a really, really big thing right now, but it's also quite novel. Um, so we get a lot of projects like specifically in the pipeline for my team. Right. Um, so I would say that our, um, the demand for us is high. Yeah, there's demand for us is higher than the supply. Yeah. And so that means that we don't necessarily, normally what you'd have to do is that there'll be a project you're on the the bench which means you're, you're just not working yeah and mm-hmm. uh you would either f- you would either find the person who heads the project or they would find you by looking for people and normally it's like a five ten minute chat um 
before it used to be a chat probably now with um, uh, the whole you know Brexit but a lot of consulting companies with a lot of friends I've talked to before it used to be just a chat like what you know what do you like doing are you a good person now it's kind of like there's quite a few people in, on the bench across the consultant sector that's turned into a, a mini sort of interview which is yeah. you know, what skills do you have that you can bring to this specific project that's stressful mm -hmm. I have, yeah I haven't had to um apply go for that process yeah no because I had a before we finished training um within our our practice is a very um is there's a there's more demands than there is supply kind of situation yeah. so generally within our practice um there's not really there's not really anyone on the bench we have a very low bench population uh, fortunately so because quite a few of our like mutual friends have been on the bench for like a while or like trying to find projects so it just depends on which sector of the business you sit within some people are in a, on on and off the bench and others just you do haven't experienced on the bench yeah what what do you do when you're on the bench training just training just training but i think actually on that point on on that i think that's another really good piece of advice if you're going to get into consulting like you said, there's different types of consulting, but also do your research into like businesses as a whole want right now and mm -hmm. what skill sets are in IBM's terms are hot skills. Like, mm -hmm. don't go for a role that in like five, six years is going to be obsolete and you're going to have mm -hmm. to upskill yourself. Go for something that the skills that you gain now are going to sustain you for the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah, that's such an important point, which is, yeah. It's such an important point. We spoke. I spoke about that in my in the last episode with UX as well. That it's because we were both um, planning. I was talking to. Um, I was interviewing Omar, who's uh, and she realized that actually I need to do digital skill. I need to gain digital skills, and that's why she retrained as a software. She did a boot camp in software engineering, and yeah, it's really really important because as much as we we want to preach that you know we there are some skills that will always be valuable like analytical skills from like a history degree but then they like with technology you, you need to be comfortable with data analysis design yeah. yeah you don't even need to be good at maths that's that's why it's great to have you know ux and design uh at the mm -hmm. front of technology now as well i think you just have to know what the current trends are and keep on top of them yeah but if I hear AI one more time, one more time. Oh, What's the other one? What are the buzzwords that IBM uh, are throwing around? I don't even think it's IBM. I just think as an industry, um, yeah. just, you know, like agile and, and there's nothing wrong with agile. I'm not sure not agile. I think when you, when it's done well, like, and we've, we've spoken, about this, I've spoken to quite a few consultants who work elsewhere. When it's done properly, it works really well. So um, my client right now, we have daily stand-ups. I'm very, very like- How daily stand-ups do? Yeah, you know, we have, we're in touch with everyone. So we know what everyone's doing and we know what, ev you know, what everyone's going to do. Whereas like agile for quite a few projects are, is kind of like a buzzword. It's like, we are going to work agile. So, yeah. Just so yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're gonna do. <laughs> not that we actually do it yeah. we will tell you that we're working agile because yeah. everyone works agile these days yeah uh, mm -hmm. and there's oh. some projects that don't need to be working agile but we're working agile have you got anything else to add from zoe from um sam's point yeah well, my team work agile we have like daily stand-ups as well which is quite effective like um it becomes clear when people aren't i mean because we have regular stand-ups people can't not do any work I mean, if we were meeting once a week, you'll just wait till just before the meeting and get all the work done. So it gives like a good sense of accountability. But because um, on the client side, I know some of their teams try to work agile and agile is very hard in the public sector. They are like, it's, it's a very rigid, like just system. It's very hard for so some people are just against change. And yeah. also because um, they've been working, a lot of the people are like mature, mm. I want to say mature but like you know 50 plus there's quite a few people that age in that age bracket and they've been doing things a certain way for 25 years and a young person screaming agile tries to come in yeah. and it just gets shut down so quickly yeah. so it's, it's sometimes it's difficult because ibm is trying to help them um like learn these new ways of working mm -hmm. and it's hard to get them to see the benefits yeah but 
I don't know. We just like just do it on our side and it works for us. So <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think like when you're trying to transform like a company's culture and their way of working, um, sometimes the w- agile, although it's really amazing, companies just can't move like that. They're just not set up. They don't have yeah. that culture. They There's don't have that legacy as well. There's so much legacy, yeah. like whether that be, you know, like tangible, like yeah, legacy in people's mindset and also mm-hmm. like their equipment. <laughs> I thought yeah. the NHS definitely. I mean, one of the one of the things that probably um, that best um, explains it is, for example, now everyone's working from home. Everyone using um, you know Zoom and virtual um, video communicating systems. You know, so many companies are like finding that quite difficult to adjust to. Because normally, if you want to have a chat with, you know, I want if me and MJ want to work uh, are working in the same company, I want to have a chat with MJ. MJ. Come and look at this. Yeah, you know, scheduling meetings, for example, yeah. understanding that people have different work times now that they're at home because yeah. you know, some people have kids. So yeah. it's like I can't during this specific day, I'm not gonna be working. So mm-hmm. adjusting around that is mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting. Thanks, yeah. friends. That was really good. You're welcome. I hope we help a lot of our future consultants figure out what the hell consulting is. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Find Your Career Calling Podcast. I hope that you had fun listening to us um, in that very informal chat with my friends about consulting. And please don't forget to subscribe and give us a review. Really appreciate it. See you soon. If you got to the end of this episode and feel like you want to find your career calling, check out fycareercalling.com where I can help you gain clarity and confidence in your next step. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share it with a friend. Because friends, life is too short. Find what you love.